Bunny Tutu. <laughs> we're we're going to be we're going to be re- referencing um, John chapter twenty, Luke twenty four, Mark chapter sixteen, Matthew twenty. These are the accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be, I'm going to be mostly referencing these things this morning, but I, I want you to know that the, the stories we're going to talk about, they're in the Bible. You know, this is the most celebrated time of year for Christians and should be. All around the world, all around the world, churches today are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in our culture, there's a lot of things that come to mind when we think of Easter, even as I was talking to Samuel. You know, we do things. We, we have, you know, egg hunts and we, we have candy. And, you know, when I was young, there was never any money inside of any eggs. I mean, you know, I mean, sometimes you, you kind of, some of you might have even grown up in a home and you were lucky that they remembered to hard boil the eggs, you know. <laughs> Did you ever get one of those one year when your parents maybe forgot to do that? You cracked your egg. But, but now there's, there's money, there's candy, there's all these things. And it's important for us to remember the real reason of what we're celebrating. You know, the Easter bunny is not better than Jesus. There's a lot of reasons that Jesus is better than the Easter bunny. And, and that part of the, in fact, the biggest one that I could think of is when you take that chocolate Easter bunny and you break them open, it's hollow inside. That's, that's what we get when we put our faith into that part of this celebration of Easter. It's hollow. It's fun, but it's empty. And there's nothing wrong with doing fun things, but we need the solidness. We need the solidness of the word. And that's what we want to talk about this morning of what happened on that Easter Sunday, the first day of the week, so many years ago. This morning, if, we, if you would, I, we're going to go in and we're going to come up with a play. And we're going to be looking for people in the congregation to play certain parts of the Easter story. So throughout this morning, you need to find out which part you're playing and which part you want to play as we go through the story of Easter. I'm going to be in Luke 24 for right now. There is a lot of people involved in the Easter story. Now, let's, let's get caught up. If you're visiting here and you could be here this morning, and maybe this is the first time you've ever come to a church. I, I say that, I think, wow, times have changed, but it's true. They're, we're not growing up in a culture that is primarily Christian any longer. A lot of us Christian talking to us to think about this. Many of our assumptions are based on uh, the, the basis that Christianity is common among men. And it was many years ago, but now there's a lot of people who are growing up in homes that have no faith at all. Surprised at the number of the youth out there that now are really claiming atheism. Um, I'm looking at Jesse. She's nodding her head. I don't know if she's shocked by this or not. But when I was young in high school, even my heathen friends, there was, for the most part, a belief in Jesus and God at the very least. They didn't serve him. They didn't worship. They didn't go to church. But he was just the assumption. Now the tide is changing. And in, it's possibly the majority in, in schools, but definitely a large number. They're atheists, and really what they are is agnostic. You know, they think they're atheists, and they're getting fed this, but really when you talk to them, they go, I just, I just don't really know. 
And so you might be one of those who've, who've come out of a home and a, and a life that you really don't know. And I'm so glad that you're here today. You'll find yourself in the Easter story just as well as we all will this morning. But to catch up, we're coming. It's the first day of the week, as Luke chapter 24 says. Now, the past three days has been a, one of a lot of worry for the disciples, those who were followers of Jesus, because three days prior to this, Jesus Christ went to the cross and he was crucified. Now, before this, these Jews, primarily all Jews that were followers of Jesus, were waiting for their Messiah. They had been wanting the Messiah to come and rescue them and take them from under the Roman rule. This was a religious nation. The Jewish people were people of God. They served Yeshua. And their whole, their whole life they wanted to serve God, but they allowed themselves to be taken under different rule and under different authority at different times. Most recently for them it was Romans. So the Romans had come in and were, they were their political rulers, but they still had their, their religion. But they wanted their religion. Their, their religion had really always ruled. And now they have a Roman government sitting over and they were waiting for the Messiah. And the scriptures were beginning to be fulfilled. Jesus Christ showed up on the scene and he began to heal people. And he began to challenge the rulers, the, the Jewish rulers. And the people began to rise up and say, is it possible after all these years, finally, that the Messiah is come? They, many of them didn't even like the Sadducees and the, the Pharisees, the ruler, the Jewish rulers. That was so out of order, but they definitely didn't like the Roman government being in control of them. And now finally, maybe this guy, he is going to be it. He's going to come and save us. Now the Messiah, he was going to be the Christ. He was going to come and, and save them. But they also believed that he was going to set up a physical rule that he would become the king. And, and right now, uh, just, just I'm curious, out of show of hands, who's been watching the Bible on the History Channel? You know, I, I'm going to say it's a little off in some places, but the overall message is great. It's been a wonderful time. There's a lot of great things. Some of their timelines are a little bit different. But one of the things you saw in there was David was this amazing king. And he ruled the people and he brought them in. And they were, the Messiah was going to come from the line of King David. Now, David was the only real wholehearted king. And it's amazing that he was a man after God's own heart because if you know David, he did a lot of bad things. He's, mo he's most famous for a couple of things, killing Goliath and, and Bathsheba. Those are probably the two things we think of right away. He, he, he sinned. He was a man who blew it, but his heart was quick for God. So he was an amazing ruler and king, and he led them in, and united the kingdom, and he served God. And, and after him, his son came up, and they finally get a, a temple for the Lord. And so the Messiah that, we are, that they were waiting for 2,000 years ago was going to come from King David's line. So he was going to be good, finally, hopefully going to come back and take them and do something. And they're watching him just a week before, just days before he comes, before he was crucified, he comes into the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey saying, I'm going to be the king. And then, and then, he's crucified. So all these followers of Jesus are Worried, discouraged, sad, confused. Every emotion is coming as they watch their Messiah, but their friend, be beaten and crucified and die and put into a tomb. 
And he sat there for days. It all happened right before the Sabbath. And as a good Jew, they couldn't do much about it. When they put him in the tomb, I believe that they were there just for a brief time. And they began to embalm him and they wrapped him. But they didn't finish the job, they said, because the, the Mary and the other ladies finished preparing the spices. We read the accounts as you read the accounts. And so their first opportunity was going to be the day after the Sabbath. The, the, the morning after the Sabbath was over, which the Sabbath would have been yesterday. And so Luke 24, 1 says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, as soon as it was even possible that they could go out, they and other, certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And here it begins to get really good. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And then they remembered his words. They returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and all, to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter, he arose and he ran to the tomb. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. They're expecting to find the body of Jesus and to give him a proper burial. They wanted to finish embalming him, anointing his body, and he wasn't there. The angel said, why do you look for the living among the dead? You know, I want to say just, just that's what we do so often. We're looking for life among death. The places we go, the movies we watch, the things that we do, we find ourselves looking for life among death. Why do we look for life among death? And so this is the beginning of the story. And through the stories we read in different accounts, we see that, that there's a number of players in this story and we need to find out who we are and who we want to be as the story unfolds this morning for us. It really begins way back in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus was having a conversation with his disciples. And this is after he'd spent time with them. And he taught and he healed and they were watching him and finally he says who do the people say that i am and they said well some say elijah some say you're uh, elisha some say moses and they said well who do you say that i am and peter i love peter you know peter's that guy who just rubs you rubs you because he's always getting into trouble because he's he's bold enough to just step out and say the things that are on his mind he's bold enough to just do the things and there was a lot of things that he did it was just kind of silly but at least he was in motion. And so Peter says, you are the Christ. Not just you're a great guy, Jesus, and we're, you're a great rabbi. We just want to follow you. You are the Messiah. And Jesus says, don't tell this to everyone else. The disciples, the apostles, right then, understood and knew Jesus not to just be a good teacher, 
but that he was the Messiah. Now, during this morning, I want us to differentiate. There is a group of people here in the story that I'll refer to as the apostles, and we know that they were the twelve. But in that is any of those who really believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed that he was the Christ. They were convinced. There's another group in here. And I'm going to let that be represented just in the, in the person of Mary. Now, Mary Magdalene. This is the same Mary who Jesus cast seven demons out of. No. I think that if I had seven demons cast out of me, I'd be pretty thankful. Because <laughs> it wouldn't be a fun life to have, be under that much oppression. She was the same woman that we find at the feet of Jesus, weeping, anointing his feet with the expensive perfume and wiping his feet with her hair as she cried. This is the same Mary. This is the same Mary, the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus, who saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. And Mary Magdalene is at the, on the scene constantly. She's just there. She is following Jesus. She loves him so much. There is some connection there that she was just, just a radical lover and worshiper of God. She's also the, the emotional one. She's always there with her emotions. Martha was the worker. Mary was the worshiper. But, and she's one of the ladies, and she's one of them that are first on the scene. And in the stories we read, she's the one that Jesus first reveals himself to, is to Mary Magdalene. Wow. That's powerful. So we have the apostles, those who believed that Jesus was the Christ. We have Mary, and we have other ladies too, and they're all important. But... But each of them are, are special. And, and the book of John, even though there were, there were more than the four women there, there was, there was more as you read the scriptures. There was definitely Mary Magdalene, uh, Mary the mother of, of James and Joseph. We had uh, Joanne and Salome. They were all there as well as other women. But yet in the book of John, it just talks about Mary being there. Because there was something special. And they're just highlighting. When you read the Bible, it's important when you read an account just because it says one person is there or two people doesn't mean that there aren't more. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. So when you read all four, you begin to put the pieces together. So Mary's there. Deep love, deep devotion for Jesus. So we have the apostles. We have Mary. Now we're about to get into a, a section here um, in, in the book of Luke and 24:13, And we're not going to read it because it's a little long. But this is, in my Bible, it's called The Road to Emmaus. And there we have two disciples, two followers of Jesus. Now, they're in a different category than the apostles, not just because they weren't part of the 12, but, but I'm going to show you why I'm putting them in a different category this morning. It was Cleopas and the other follower. We don't know who that is for sure. But there are two men on the road to Emmaus, and, and we find that they're grieved and saddened by what's happened. And Jesus comes alongside of them, and they don't recognize him. And it's divine that they don't recognize him. Their, their eyes are, are, are closed to, to who Jesus is at this time. And they began to talk. And, and Jesus asked them, well, what are you guys talking about? And what's, what's going on? And, and they said to him in verse 18, he says, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? You know, for us, it's, it's 
proof here that this was a big event. This was a big event. Are you the only stranger to Jerusalem? And he says, what things, Jesus said. And they said, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests, our rulers, delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified. And here's the key that separates them from the apostles, those that believed he was the Messiah. We were hoping, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. They called him a prophet. They were followers. They were still watching, but they were still reserving judgment. Who is this man? We were hoping it's him. Well, as they walk, they find that he finally reveals himself to them. But these are different. Now, we have the apostles. They knew that he was the Messiah. We have Mary, the lover and worshiper of Jesus, who was there at the, at the tomb early, ready to go, and Jesus reveals himself. Now we have these other dis- disciples, and I believe that there was others that were just like them. They, they were followers, but they, they weren't quite sure. That's like some of you today. You come to church, you're really interested, but you're not quite sure yet if this is the way to go. You're reserving judgment. And that's the role that you're playing this morning. There's the others that are apostles. We, we know, we believe that Jesus is the only way. We followed him. And there's another one I want to talk about who's part of the apostles. But it's Peter. Remember, Peter was actually the first one to say, you are the Christ. He was bold and he says, no, you're it. I'm putting everything on you. Yet Peter is the one who, when Jesus was being betrayed, delivered up to death, denies Jesus. Was it because he didn't believe him anymore? No. It's because he was afraid. He was afraid of what might happen if he says, I'm with him. Because he's watching what's happening to Jesus. And I believe there's something in him that says, I don't want that to happen to me too. He's a believer. But he lost his will. He lost his, his gumption in the moment. I don't believe he lost his faith. He just couldn't stand up for it. Now Peter is so important because in one of the gospel accounts, when they tell the ladies, go tell the disciples that he's risen. They say, go tell the disciples and Peter. Isn't that special? Jesus mentions his name. Go tell the disciples and Peter. And there's speculation of why he said that. And here's what, I'll tell you what I believe. I believe it was because Jesus knew that Peter didn't count himself any longer as a disciple. He wasn't just trying to make Peter feel better. He knew that Peter said, I blew it. And I'm not part of that group anymore. I've sinned. And so he says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Make sure you know. Make sure you tell Peter. There's people in this room today that maybe are relating with Peter. But you were a believer. 
and you put it all on the line, but something has come into your life and maybe you've denied Jesus with the way you've walked. Something's come up and now you've separated yourself out of the rest of the disciples and you're out or maybe this was just you in the past and you were out on the fringe and Jesus this morning says there's a message for all the disciples and for you. You are part of the group. I want to talk to you. I have risen. I am the way. This morning we need to figure out who we are and then understand that the story is the same for all of them. Now this is amazing, but no matter who you were at this point, whether you were the apostles or Peter, whether you were Mary or one of the women at the tomb, whether you were one of the disciples, you know what? One of the things they all had in common, they were all in sorrow. They were scared. They were discouraged. And that comes to all of us in life. All of us find ourselves in that moment, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, that you just don't know which way to go that you're not sure if what you believe is really true and if these promises from God are true, how come I'm seeing the death? The apostles saw the death of the Messiah. That wasn't supposed to happen. They were afraid. In fact, one of the passages we find that they were locked up in, in, in the room together with the door locked because they were afraid. And Jesus had to come into their very midst and speak to them. And he rebuked them because they wouldn't believe what the ladies had said. I know that every one of us in here have faced those things that we were just terrified of, that discouraged us so much that no matter how much you love Jesus, at that moment in your life, you are questioning everything. You were even saying, God, do you really exist? Because I am here and I'm alone. People come up to you and try to encourage you, but the place that you were at, it didn't matter. You just were so lonely and confused. Jesus never gives up hope on you, and he's coming to visit. Jesus was about to rise again, and they were afraid. Everything's beginning to change. They're in the shadows, they're in the dark, they're worried. They're confused. But Jesus comes back on the scene and begins to reveal himself. Now some of their thoughts, some of their ideas and beliefs were radically changed because some of them still didn't think that he was God. They just thought he was the Messiah. There was a connection that needed to happen for them. This is no, he wasn't just the Messiah. He is God himself. And he had to die in order that we might live. He had to die so that we could have victory over death ourselves. Jesus brings the victory. We have to stay in there. You know, one of the things you find about the apostles and the disciples they were scared, they were worried, but they were hanging together. 
Don't isolate in those moments. Don't isolate and go off on your own. Stay together with the disciples. Stay together with the apostles. Keep coming back to them. The ladies went to the tomb and they came back and reported everything to the disciples. The valley is is long sometimes and it's dark. But you'll come out of it at the end. God has a plan and you'll come out of the valley of the shadow of death. But you have to keep on walking. Keep walking. Those moments are coming and maybe you're in them right now. Jesus is risen. And he will see you through, but you got to keep walking. The victory is coming. Now there is another group. Go to Luke chapter 24 with me. After he's appeared to them and he's revealing himself, he's rebuking the disciples and they're beginning to finally say, wow, Jesus, he's alive. And, and there's another part that, that, that they were c- confirmed and not that they were even doubting this, but he still had the wounds in his hands and his side. So it wasn't some parlor trick. They didn't get a body double for Jesus. Just in case somebody says, you know, it wasn't Jesus. They thought it was, but who could tell? He was so beat up and maybe it really wasn't him. But when Jesus showed, he says, no, it was me. I got the hands, got the holes in the hand, the feet. I got the, the wound in the side. It was me. But there was another part too. They said, okay, well, maybe you're just a ghost. Maybe you're just a spirit. And so he ate with them saying, no. I've come back alive in the flesh. I was dead. Now I'm alive. He's revealed himself to all these people. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, I believe it's, it's 15.5, says that, that he revealed himself to Peter. He names the people and James and Mary. And he says and he appeared to over 500 people at once. You know why, they, why, why Corinthians points that out? So that anyone who was doubting could say, go ask any one of these people. They're still alive. And if they say that he's alive and you turn him in to the government, they'll kill him. By telling people that Jesus was risen, they would make the Jews and the Romans a little bit upset. It was a life-risky thing that was happening. He's alive. You know, your Jesus is alive today. He's not dead. Stop looking for life among death. Hang on to Jesus. The victory is coming. Now, this other group we're going to get to is, is, is beginning here. And after verse 44, and Jesus begins to open the scriptures to him. He says, these are the words I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding. That's a great prayer to pray, church. God opened my understanding that they might comprehend the scripture. He said to them, thus it was written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations begin at Jerusalem. Another group that we have to mention right now is 
the people in all the nations who don't know about repentance and remission of sins. It's those of you, maybe in this room today, who've never trusted on the Lord Jesus Christ to give you forgiveness of your sins, to lift the weight of your sins off of your shoulder and to give you salvation. It's to all the people in all the world that need to know about Jesus' love and His sacrifice. But it's not just, I want to give you good things, I just want to give you a better life. It's repentance and remission of sins that we would understand that we are unholy, that we live a life that's contrary to the things that God wants us, and that we have to agree with Him that He is holy and we are not, that He is the way and we are not. That is repentance that says, I have blown it. It's not making an excuse. Well, you know, if you just knew the home I grew up with, you'd understand why I do the things that I do. That's not repentance. Repentance is, I am bad. And there isn't anything in my natural man that's holy enough to be in your presence. But you are good. And I receive your sacrifice that he just did. That he just accomplished. I receive your payment for my sin. And that all of our sin was put on that cross in that moment. And he paid the price. But we have to receive it. We have to receive it. That's the other group. It doesn't matter which part of the group you are. Just a, an attender. You know, I'm not quite sure. I'm still coming, but I, I don't know if, if he's really the way, the truth, and the life. Or you might be the, the Christian who's put all your, your faith in Christ to be your Savior. and Maybe you are going through one of those doubtful times, the discouraging times, going, God, where are you? You might be part of the nations who do not know and need to know of repentance and remission of your sins. But there's some promises that are, are for us. If we'll trust in Him and we will put our faith in Him to be our Messiah, our Savior, and we'll follow Him, we can turn out like the disciples and the apostles and Mary together did as we go and go to verse 50. Now this is right after he says, I, I'm sending you the promise of my Father upon you, which is praise the Lord that when he ascended, he didn't leave us as orphans. He sent the Holy Spirit to live in us, to give us power and to walk with us. And then on v verse 50 says, he led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And he blessed us. It says, it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and he was carried up into heaven. See, he had to go and sit at the right hand of the Father to fulfill everything. He leaves us the Holy Spirit. And he has now paid the price for our sin. He wants to give us victory over everything every struggle in this life and the victory is in Him. Our hope is in Him. And we will never on this earth fully understand that victory. The kingdom is now, but it's not fully yet. There are things that we will not understand and experience until we're with Jesus in heaven. And that's what we set our hope for. There will be people who won't receive a healing on this earth their healing is still waiting for them. 
in heaven. We have to put our faith and our hope there. If you've been taught a gospel that says every, you can be healed of, he, he wants to heal everything right today and he's never going to give you any problem. He wants to bless you and he's going to give you a Mercedes to boot. That's not the gospel truth. But he is our victor. He is our healer and he is our provider. Some of these things we won't understand and realize until finally we're with him in heaven. And this is where we come together because Jesus is the answer for our sorrow. When we're weeping and grieving, He shows up on the scene and we're comforted. He's the answer for our confusion. When we don't understand, we have to trust in Him. And finally and eventually, He'll reveal Himself to us. He's the answer for being lost, alone, guilty, and condemned. If you've never trusted on Jesus, that's what you are today. You're condemned already. You're lost, and you know it, because there's a guilt. There's something on you that says, there's nothing in this life. He's the answer for that. He's also the answer for joy. We've been looking for joy in all the wrong places. And we look for joy in trips to Disneyland. We look for joy in bouts at the bar. We look for joy in relationships. We look for joy in, you know, there's some happiness in those places, those, some of those places. I think Disneyland is pretty happy except on a Saturday in the middle of summer. But there's no joy in that. But Jesus is where joy is found. We need to put our hope and trust and faith completely in Him because He is the answer for our lack of joy and for our needed joy. Verse 52 and Luke 24 says they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. We've all lost somebody we loved. They've died. I can't say that joy is the emotion that I would say best describes that moment. When Jesus left their presence... He was gone. You know, I've lost people who were saved. They've died. And I know that they're in heaven with Jesus. But I'm still sad that they're gone. But they were able to overcome that momentary understanding that physically Jesus wasn't with them any longer. He was their teacher and their leader and their guide. And now they're kind of on their own if they let them believe that. But he says, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. He will be in you. So they're able to bypass that feeling of sadness. And what did that say? They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They came back after all of this and Jesus is still gone. But they come back with joy because their hope and their faith is in him being the risen Lord who lives inside of us, who gives us a hope beyond this world, a hope of eternity in heaven with Him. And how did they do that? They were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. And I, I don't think that we need to come here every morning at 8 and noon and 4. And we don't have to come to this building. But they were in fellowship with believers continually and also hearing the word of God 
and worship. It needs to be something we're continually doing. Being in communion with other believers. But not just hanging out. There's a lot of us, we get together and we say we're fellowshipping. We're not. Fellowshipping is, is when it's based over Christ. We're just hanging out. And that's fun to do. You know, I like to go out riding ride motorcycles and, and maybe the guys will go on a ride or something. We're just hanging out. But often, it will stop. And we'll talk about the Lord. That's when it's fellowship. That needs to be part of our life, speaking of the things of God and encouraging each other, not just spending time together. They were in the temple praising and blessing God together. We need to be do that more and continually in our life. Let that be a practice. We can hold each other knowing that there is great joy in His presence. There's great joy awaiting all of us who will trust in Him. No matter who you are, Jesus is the answer for your sorrow. Jesus is the answer for your confusion. Jesus is the answer for your lostness. And He is the only way to overcome this world and give us true joy. This morning, if you've never trusted in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, I want to give an opportunity right now to do that. So if everyone would just bow their head. And we're just doing this so that you can have a moment with God. If you've come and you've never trusted in Jesus, you've never said, God, I am what Pastor Rob is talking about. I am a sinner and I can't do this on my own and I, I know that today. I want to trust you to be my Lord. I want to give you my life. because you gave your life for me. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you just to slip up a hand. I'm going to pray with you and lead you in a prayer. There's another group that maybe you've considered yourself. I'm one of those followers. I attend church sometimes. And I'm hoping that this is true, but I just don't know. And today you're saying, Jesus is the way. And I'm not going to do this on my own anymore. I'm going to fully commit. I've, by faith, I'm going to commit all I am and say, you are the answer to every one of my problems. Maybe you've even prayed the prayer before, but you know there's something lacking in your relationship, it's, you know that it's been held back. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to just slip up a hand. Thank you. I ask you just to pray this prayer. We can all pray it together because it's something we should all do. Lord Jesus, I commit my life fully to you. I thank you for salvation, for new life, for victory, and for joy. I commit myself to follow you with all of my life. The past is the past. 
You are my future. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for paying the price so I could have life. In Jesus' name. And Lord, for the rest of us, I would pray, strengthen us in our weakness. Encourage us in our discouragement. Bring hope in our hopelessness. Bring light in our darkness. Bring healing in our infirmity. You are our only hope. You are our Savior, our God, our King. Lord, we thank you that our life is secure in you and that you give us joy in the Holy Ghost. That in you, we have everything we need for life and godliness. God, I pray that we would be single-minded and focused on the things that you have for us. That you would help us to stop looking for life where there is only death. And that we would not trust and count on this world for our joy, for our strength, for our life, but we would trust in you. And let joy return. God, let joy return. Thank you for the celebration of this day and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even, Lord, before you ascended as you blessed the people, Lord, we receive your blessing today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Fellowship together today. Enjoy your time with family and friends. Remember to fellowship in Jesus. Bless you.